Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Alan Monticilio, and you're listening to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. California has passed a law that puts an end to single-family zoning. It's a policy that has played a big role in our housing crisis, and also has racist roots right here in the Bay Area. The goal is to help build more housing faster, at a time when home prices are sky high and when rents are still too expensive for so many. I understand the fears but I also know that it is imperative that we find a way to do something about this issue of of housing production and affordability. Today, the end of single-family zoning in California. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. Single-family homes are really, like, quintessentially California. Erica Kelly is the senior editor of KQED's Housing Affordability Desk. It was that vision of the home with the yard in the suburbs that sold a lot of people on the dream of coming to California back when the state was really growing. And, you know, that's still really the dream for a lot of people, not just here in California, but, you know, everywhere in the country. Owning a home is the way that, you know, people build wealth in this country. And, you know, single-family homes are incredibly valuable and only getting even more valuable. Back in the early 1900s, Berkeley was the first city in the whole country to say that in a single neighborhood, you could only have single-family homes and everything else was outlawed. And when we look at that history, that's actually where we see kind of the dark side of that dream of the single-family home. Those first zoning rules 
they were set because a developer wanted to keep his homes and the neighborhoods around them accessible only to white people. And the racial impacts of single-family zoning, it's not just ancient history. It's not just 100 years ago. Restrictive zoning continues to have a strong impact on neighborhood segregation that we see today. And it prevents many working-class families and families of color from having access to things that are all often you know, most accessible to single-family neighborhoods. There's been a ton of news going on lately, and I feel like I looked up and all of a sudden I realized that California had ended single-family zoning. How big of a deal is this? It's a really big deal because um, California has really tried to do this for years and it's gotten some really fierce pushback. And so to have it pass, honestly, I was surprised. Opponents have been very vocal and they've been very organized this year. And, you know, hundreds of cities were really opposed to this. So I was really surprised that so many legislators went along with it. Um, but as you mentioned, there's a lot of news that's been going on and Newsom signed it just two days after the recall. So I think we were all a little bit distracted mm. and, and caught, you know, caught by that's surprise. Right. <laughs> that's right. So Senate Bill 9 uh, is the name of this, this new law uh, that eliminates single family zoning in California. What does this law say and what does it try to accomplish? So it basically does what you said. It puts an end to single-family zoning across the state. Now, people might hear that and think, oh, I can't build a single-family home. But that's not really what it does. That's not the case at all. What it does is it makes it legally possible to build more than one unit on a parcel of land where only one home is allowed now. So if you're a homeowner, you could turn your home into a duplex. You could tear it down and build two homes in one place. And if your lot's big enough, you could split the lot in two and build two units on each of them. Ultimately, that could mean you could have up to four units uh, where you just had one before. So if you imagine that typical suburban neighborhood where you see single home after single home, you might start to see different kinds of housing interspersed there. And what's, what is the goal of all that? So the goal is about making it less expensive for more people to rent or to own a home. The typical single-family home in California is really expensive and, like I said, is getting more expensive. And duplexes, because they're smaller, they tend to be more affordable. So the idea is to make that more of an option to people who fall in the middle of the income ladder. I mean... This sounds like an obvious point, but it seems like the idea is to just have more housing. Absolutely. That, yes, there is a just a huge, huge push um, from housing advocates to add more housing of all kinds. You know, it's just really hard to build uh, housing in California. We are in a huge hole. Every year we are supposed to be building 180,000 units of housing to keep up with our demand, and we build something like 80,000 a year. And so this is one of the ways that um, housing advocates see to just kind of get us slowly towards that goal. Thank you for the dedication, for the tough conversations, for the courage to support a solution that will help make a difference in our state's housing crisis. So this bill was introduced by Senator Tony Atkins from San Diego, and she says the bill is really meant to ease our overall housing crisis. And it stands to set this state up on a path where there are more housing options, more supply, and more access to the California dream. It doesn't require that the units that are built be affordable, but proponents 
argue that anything we do to increase the amount of housing will be helpful in the long run. Of course, we have other critical issues, but the lack of housing stock, the lack of housing that is affordable, the, the lack of housing that is available for people to actually own a home in this great state has been at discussion. This isn't the first time this topic has been brought up, both just generally, but especially in the, in the legislature. Um, I know many of these previous efforts had failed, and that's one reason actually why I was surprised to see that not only did SB9 pass, but it passed pretty easily, it looks like. Why did that happen? So, you know, I think it's a sign of just how deep our housing crisis is and how many people really understand that. When I was watching the vote in the assembly, I saw legislators from all parts of the state who were signing on to it. So I think that people are willing to challenge something that for a long time has really been seen as untouchable. So this bill compared to previous efforts to change zoning, there was another bill called SB 50. That was a huge bill that tried to change all kinds of zoning requirements and really would have required cities to build larger buildings in lots of different places and would also have done away with single family zoning. So I think that one, because it was so big, because it would have required so many changes, received a lot more pushback and was much more of a lightning rod. And so I think since then, since those sort of big sweeping efforts, they've learned to sort of break apart their efforts to change zoning and sort of move them through piece by piece and to try to break down the resistance to them. All that said, there are people who oppose this, um, whether it's legislators who voted no or you know, advocates or, or activists on different sides of the housing debate. So how would you describe the opposition to this law? So one of the biggest objections really comes from people who are fiercely protective of those single family neighborhoods. They don't want to see them change. They are afraid of an apartment building going up next door. They're afraid of crowding, of noise, of traffic. And But it's not just a lifestyle change that people are concerned about. People are very protective of their homes because for most people who own, that's a big investment. And so if there is an unknown about changing neighborhood or what could happen, they fear that this could threaten that investment. And then there's an argument about local control. Local governments and many of their residents really don't like the idea of the state government making changes that take away their power over what gets built where and when in their communities. I also know that, you know, when it comes to the idea of building more housing, which we know is 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 important to addressing the housing crisis, that there are also concerns that that new housing that gets built might not actually be for people who need it the most. It might be for you know, higher income people. Were there concerns along those lines as well this time? Yeah, one big criticism was that there are no affordable housing requirements in this, um, that whatever you build, it can be rented or it can be sold for whatever the market will bear. And because it's new, if it's new housing, it might be fairly expensive. So opponents really challenge that idea that somehow you're going to start to see more affordable living options in well-off single-family neighborhoods. If there's development potential on single-family lots, there is a chance that that could drive up property values. So someone might see a single-family lot and think, I can turn that into four places. So that might be worth buying and developing. And so developers could do that. And in areas with moderate 
or low home values, areas that might be home to black and brown communities, there's fear that they could be a target and this could push out longtime residents. In the last few months before SB9 got passed, lawmakers did make some amendments to win over critics, and some of the changes were specifically made to protect renters from getting displaced. But there's still a lot of concern. There's a lot of unknowns, and there are actually a lot of unanswered questions when you look at what might happen next now that SB9 has passed. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about what could happen next, or as much, at least as much as we, we can say. What, what might happen? I mean... And does this new law signal, you know, a radical change in the housing situation in California? Well, you know, for all the drama and all the talk and uh, the big time symbolism around this, no one is saying it's going to solve the housing crisis or lead to a huge building of new homes anytime immediately. Now, the best idea that we have about the impacts we could see, they come from a recent study from David Garcia at UC Berkeley's Turner Center. We don't anticipate, you know, significant amounts of housing to be built, at least immediately. And he spoke on KQED's forum about how important this is, but that it's really a modest approach. It is not going to solve the crisis overnight, but I do think it sets the table for increased production over the years to come. So when he looked at the places where it would make financial sense for property owners to build more units, he looked at all the single-family properties across the state and found that just about 5% of properties uh, fell into this territory. So that's about 400,000 parcels where you could see it make sense for property owners to do this. All of the evidence we have does, does show us that at a region-wide level, adding more housing supply does help stabilize costs. So there, there is consensus there and there's emerging literature that shows us that even at the neighborhood level, when you add more units, Uh, It also helps to stabilize costs. Places in the Bay Area where property owners tend to have larger lots, those are places that are more likely to see this change. So places where lots are small, constrained, like in big parts of San Francisco, you're probably not going to see a lot of this happen there. So the argument for this law was that Making it easier to build more housing is is really important to in, in terms of addressing the affordability crisis in our state. But it also seems like it's going to take way more than just that. So what else needs to happen? One thing people say is that we need more housing of all kinds at all levels. So we need apartments, we need duplexes, we need affordable housing for low-income people. The other thing that advocates say needs to change is the process. The process takes so long to get housing built, and it makes it unpredictable. It makes it more expensive. Certainly with this change, it's definitely not going to have an immediate impact. Anything like this could take a really long time for people to, you know, really become aware of the option and to make the decision to make the investment. So I think the timeline for seeing this have an impact is is going to be a while. Will we see neighborhoods change? Will we see more housing in different places? I am just really interested to see how it all plays out.
that's it for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend about it. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss the next one. You can also contact us via email at thebay at kqed.org or on Twitter at thebayKQED. Erica Kelly is Senior Editor of Housing Affordability for KQED. This episode of The Bay was cut and produced by Erica Cruz Guevara. Mary Franklin Harvin added the tape and the music. KQED's leadership team includes Jessica Placek, Erica Aguilar, Vinny Tong, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Alan Montecilio. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you later. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.